0: you know what that sound means i am dennis mitch Maley, and this is the bradenton times podcast and we've got a special christmas present for you in this week's edition our publisher former manatee county commissioner joe mcclash is here thanks for coming in joe you're welcome dennis thank you and we're all juiced up on coffee we had some (laughs) uh the java blend From our favorite coffee spot, if you guys heard us uh, with Josh from Banyan a couple weeks ago, Joe had his first cup of java and he... uh, Oh, it was good. It was great coffee. I'm going to have to stop by there and buy a few bags. There we go. Um, So a lot going on since the last time we've spoken. Uh, Things just keep getting weirder and weirder in Manatee County. Uh, Again, we're recording on Friday afternoon. Uh, Yesterday, Thursday, we saw what was, you know, to my mind, and I'd love to hear if, if you have any thoughts on it, I think that was the largest organized opposition to any development in Manatee County history. Yeah, it sounds like it. When you have 15,000 people
1: coming on a YouTube channel, it's it's historical.
0: Yeah, breaking records on, on Manatee's uh, YouTube channel. Uh, they might even get to the point where they can monetize it now. <laughs> well, I,
1: I wish it was for a better
0: reason. Right. Where right. something was positive for the community rather than something negative. Yeah, so what we had was a land use um, issue, it was a land use meeting, and it was a request for a Comp Plan Amendment and Text Amendment to rezone a large area adjacent to two racetracks in East County, the Bradenton Motor Speedway and the Freedom Factory. Uh, One's a racetrack, one's a drag strip. They're right next to each other. And they're going to build about 4,000 houses right smack dab up against that. And this is a, uh, this is really, the door was opened by the plan amendment they made last year late last year on allowing for the eastward expansion of Lakewood Ranch so they did a specialized amendment where they said okay well you could develop east of the fdab if you meet all these conditions you know it's it's one it's contiguous to the other development uh it is done by the same master development master developer so it was really done tailored so that really kind of only Lakewood Ranch will be able to take advantage of it. But this is now one of the first real consequences of that vote. And boy, you know, I got got to look at that and say... This is one of the reasons we had the FDAB. This is one of the reasons it was a bad idea. And now you're opening the door for development that just isn't compatible with that use. Yeah, let's just explain that a little bit. Because uh, when the
1: county was planned for growth, we created these lines that said, okay, we should grow to this area because we know we could handle the services. And we want to leave this part of the community in a kind of an agricultural kind of manner rural yeah yeah. rural agricultural versus having something that was all built out like to a a urban standard so now you come along last year and you change that boundary where you could let this adjacent developer expand the boundary of of this intense development you know when you're talking about 4700 homes i believe is what they're talking about that's that's not a drop in a bucket I mean it, it's it's unbelievable you would give that much financial incentive to somebody without an you know some type of return better than oh now we're just gonna really do away with a, a business that's right next to it this racetrack when those houses are built out there's no way that that racetrack probably will survive because of the amount of people that will complain about the roaring engines and the you know the noise factor from just the races out there. And it's a shame because it's a real good asset in Manatee County and it's away from everything right now as yes. it was planned for years ago. And so this was one of two decisions that happened, I believe, last year and a year before where they changed the development rights outside of our development boundary.
0: Okay, so let me ask you a question because this is always something that you were, you know, uh, one of your expertise as a uh, commissioner. They make that approval last year to, to allow for the, the possibility of that. But does that change their obligation to allow any individual application? No, they
1: could have just said no to it. And I believe they can still say no to it. From what I understand, it's not so much a zoning uh, application that was approved, it's a comp plan change. So the comp plan change just gives you the maximum amount of development that could take place. So one of two things, it was a transmittal to the state and so when it comes back, the commissioners have a second chance to say no. Um, this isn't right. Maybe. It's- but does that
0: make it harder once you've done that?
1: Well, yeah, because the history, you know, proves that most of the commissioners just go along with whatever they approve the first time, mm-hmm. even though they give the lip service. Oh, we're just transmitting, including
0: to state. when they transmitted the comp amendment for the actual uh, right. FDAB yeah. expansion. And and you got to look at
1: the holistic. Uh, situation in the county. We're having water quality problems from stormwater runoff because of overdevelopment, new fertilizers, you know, um, that are applied to lands that weren't applied before, pesticides. And so we really don't have a good handle on growth. And so now you're opening the door for 4,700 homes that wouldn't go there, probably a fraction of that, probably somewhere about a tenth maybe it would have been allowed. Because when you look at what agricultural zoning is, it's one house per five acres and they're getting close to three homes per acre so that's a huge difference even though they have a tax amendment that limits the the property um 1.95 yeah Yeah, yeah. yeah. but that's that's still something that could be changed in the future if somebody wanted to but we're having the red tide crisis we're having oh the clams uh, are going to fix that haven't you heard oh my gosh
0: Yeah, we spent a half a million dollars or something on clams. Oh, uh, there's more than a half a million. That's well, that's our just contribution. our contribution, right? Yeah. It's, it's multi millions of yeah, dollars. Yeah, going on five, six clams. million, I think already.
1: And just for uh, readers' benefit, I mean, uh, listeners' benefits, uh, the Sarasota Bay water quality is going downhill. So there's a uh, just this great idea to put clams out there, and the clams will filter out all the bad pollutants. Well, instead of solving the problem of the uplands with all the pollutants coming into the bay, let's just you know, try to cure the problem after they already caused the pollution. And which, by the way, there's no scientific evidence to
0: support that this is going to work.
1: Yeah. And it's one of those other decisions that they made without any public input. Right. If they would have had a work session or some public input, maybe they would have realized that, Hey, it doesn't work anywhere. It's politically being motivated maybe for a person with the right intentions, but the science
0: doesn't back it up. And that's been a bit of a theme now with this new administration and, there was a little bit of a pushback from commissioners this week on, "Hey, uh, are we just here to rubber stamp things at the very end, or are we going to be updated on these ideas as they start to get initiated?" Well, I thought this new board two years ago they
1: were really ticked off because they had a county administrator that was doing things, and they said it wasn't <laughs> the board wasn't involved with those decision makings, which in those cases, in that case, the board was very much involved in the decision makers making up front and the county administrator carried out the will of the board. Now you have a county administrator, uh, the so-called Dr. Hopes, that um, will just have a contract on a piece of property and then just bring it to the board on a
0: consent agenda without discussion. Yes, such as the, the, public, uh, the, the $5 million park that was yeah. just bought for Curiosity Creek. Now tell me, your, tell me your feelings on that. You're a commissioner and you see this item and it gets pulled on a technicality. Because the county attorney says that, hey, there, by the way, since there's no public access to this park, there's no road there or anything, we're going to need an easement. So we're going to have to pull it in order to, to change that. Doesn't that raise a big red flag then to say, hey, wait a minute, um, can we get a presentation or something? Why exactly? Especially if you're the board who a whole bunch of them came in on the idea that, you know, the Lena Road was a big boondoggle yeah. that we shouldn't be buying. Doesn't that raise a red flag and say, hey, um, can I get a presentation on why we're spending $5 million on buying this parkland that abuts the stacks at Piney Point?
1: Well, I think if you were a parent and you had to make a decision to send your kid to play next to Piney Point or a property that wasn't next to Piney Point, I think you'd pick the property that wasn't next to Piney Point. Right. And but, if you're
0: a commissioner, wouldn't you say like, hey, did did we do any environmental analysis?
1: Right. On- I mean, you should have a whole litany of... Questions instead of just basically, yes, we're going to buy this. First of all, when you look at the property around Port Manatee, the board's initial um, goals were to transform that property not to residential but to industrial. Because really, when you think about even the Piney Point property and the surrounding properties, it'd be better to encourage industrial property to complement the port because that's where you get the biggest bang for the buck. It'll be worth more money in the future. And instead, you're going to put a county park next to an industrial piece of property that could have more benefits to the community as a part of a port master plan, you could call it that. We actually put in place what we call the encouragement zone, so people could actually go and actually get property approved without having a zoning change if they met certain uh, requirements. And we wanted to do that so that you could encourage the industrial development versus pushing it towards residential. So this just goes against any type of logic. If you're, if you're the person that, I mean, commissioners serve as the port authority, you would think that they would say, hey, by the way, that is next to industrial property. Maybe we should buy it for industrial reasons, not for park reasons. And they could still do that, but they already bought the property. Um, and it defies logic why you would put a park there. And also defies logic why somebody didn't catch the easement issue, before it came to the board, and also devise logic why the county attorney's office isn't including some of these agenda items ahead of time, and he has to catch it at the last minute. But, I mean, if you're a property, you have two realtors, supposedly realtors on the board, Cruz and a Austin Bridge, you know, if they were knowledgeable about the property, wouldn't that be the first question you ask? Because when you look at this piece of property, it's it's surrounded by Things that doesn't make sense, you know, Piney Point on one side and the future development houses on the other side, and it's how how are we going to access this? Now the it first sounds so like
0: let's switch perspectives and say that we're the developer and you're going to develop these houses out there. It sounds like you'd want that buffer between Piney Point and the houses, especially you know yeah. Piney Point just brings up a whole right. lot of bad you know uh, bad vibes with people uh, for good reason. So I would think that if I'm a commissioner, the first question I would ask is hey, it seems like the biggest benefactor of a park going there is the developer themselves. Sure. Why aren't they donating this land to us? And then even at that point, the county's doing them a favor if the county says, well, if you donate us the land, then we've got to maintain it and put it into our parks budget and everything like that, but okay, we'll do Like So even donating, it sounds like that would be the county doing the developer a favor, um, but the idea that you buy it off the developer at a premium price yeah, yeah, it just
1: doesn't make sense, especially since we have park plans, and the park plans kind of guide what you're going to yeah. do for the next five years. And there was no discussion about this being a needed piece Not on the property. CIP. And if anything, you want to have something that's a huge piece of property, maybe 100 to 200 acres for another
0: regional park. Like and by the way, the county owns another piece of property very close to it that is scheduled for a park. Yeah, well, it would make sense
1: uh, to actually...
0: That would be better not, cited because yeah. it could be accessible by more of right. where the development is. And then you have to question if there's
1: development approval on it, and they got development approval with that being open space or whatever space that was counted towards the density. Th- th- that's now, is interesting. There, is there a density there's not. The, So
0: Well, here's the thing. So my question on it is, if you have... They're, they're building it out to full density already in the, in the plan, but they plan for this to be a park. Now, if you sell that land off and you're still developing the same amount of houses, you're actually increasing your density, yeah, right? You, you should have to go back and get a new
1: development approval. Which has not happened. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a snowball issue, you know, when you make one bad mis- decision, then it leads to, you know, bad consequences.
0: And Do you think this might have something to do with the fact that we now have... Without without question, you cannot refute this. We have the most inexperienced administration that the county's ever had, probably since the very inception of county government. And then we also have a historically inexperienced board. This Is, well, is this, this the most inexperienced board you've seen in terms of... Well, it's the most inexperienced board, but it's the most
1: incompetent leadership that we have from an administrative level. And I could say that because the... County administrative form of government is relatively new. It was only started back in the 1980s when the county became underneath the county administrative type of government. And before that, it, you had county commissioners that were in charge of different departments. So back in the 1980s, we changed to this county administrative form of government, and you're supposed to have qualified people. So you have Scott Hopes, um, the doctor, uh, who's not a doctor of of you know, something that has to do with the field of government policy, right? Uh, he has never managed people before. I mean, now you're managing a government that's over a thousand of people, uh, not to count all the part-time people as well and the subcontractors. And so he has f- no experience managing people. He wasn't in the military where people underneath him. Ryan Shuttle, we can't find anything in his background. Uh, he's a deputy county administrator, and he has no background as far as managing the number of people that you're managing. Then they bring in an attorney, Teitelbaum, you know, who we're trying to figure out whether he's been hired or not hired because there's some um, now discussion that he was rescinding his resignation at the school board as their attorney. So we're thinking that, well, maybe the county didn't hire him. So there's no update
0: from. And we've asked asked the question and we have not gotten the response. So, So, Dr. Hopes, you know,
1: what's the what's the answer to the question? Is he an employee of the county or not? Um, Or has he been fired already (laughs) after he was hired? And then you have the poll who, you know, has the military background. She's probably the most qualified person. But as we discussed earlier, she lost a lot of credibility with me when Hopes decided to dump, you know, the storm debris on the school board's property. And the poll comes out with a recreational agreement that we had back in the 1990s and say, oh, by the way, this gave us permission to, to dump, you know, this yard waste on a school board property without your permission. It's like, no, that's not honest with the people. You should have gone to the school board and said, what does this agreement mean? You weren't back there in the 1990s. I was there. I was the commissioner that helped craft that agreement because there was school board properties not being utilized at nighttime around schools primarily, and we could access that for recreational needs or other needs of the community. And it made sense to have an agreement in place that says, hey, by the way, if you're a school board and you're not using that property, can we use it at night? And one of the outcomes of that was the Lakewood Ranch uh, Park out there where we have this joint agreement where we both utilize in space, where they utilize ours during the day, we utilize theirs at nighttime, and we didn't have to duplicate infrastructure. And so she she doesn't reach out to anybody and, and ask you know what this agreement means. She just tries to cover for Hope's dumping yard waste on the school board's property without their permission. I mean, who does that? I mean, it just defies logic when you're dealing with cooperation of of different stakeholders and we're seeing where he's quick to pick up the phone and call, you know, somebody from Allied and have a drink with them after night, you know, tonight, you know, to work out a deal to dump, you know, industrial water down our our wells, you know, that uh, we built for different reasons. And here, you know, they'll pick up the phone and say, hey, by the way, you know, we need your property to put some yard debris on it or whatever it is from the storm.
0: Can we do that? And at least that would have been due diligence. What do you think of the Allied deal? That's one. We have additional reporting on that this weekend. But that's another example where there has been a tremendous amount, as we saw from that public records request, a tremendous amount of communication between the administration and the company uh, and its representative, former uh, state senator and Senate president uh, Bill Galvano. But no public discussion right no update to the board no no uh no conversations around workshops and stuff saying hey this is what we're talking about this is what it would mean let's walk through all this instead hey we're we're at the goal line let's uh well typically in the past county
1: administrators would always go to the board behind closed doors at a public meeting and say hey this is what i want to do and bring forward to you and this is the reason why And you just don't get it in front of the board without some type of discussion. That should have some type of community discussion. I mean, this community is very sensitive about dumping any type of disposal into the ground, any disposable water that's from an industry. You know, we basically have said, no, we don't want to do that. And so while this well was intended for uh, taking the, the brine that's left over from a desal operation that the county was pursuing with brackish water up by Buffalo Creek, we decided not to do that for a number of reasons years ago. So the well was, was put in place, but it wasn't intended to put industrial wastewater. And so it's still industrial brine, and we're not sure what's the makeup of that brine because you're only testing for certain parameters. So when you get a test back, it's not like everything. Um, and supposedly they're taking county water and then doing something in an industrial process to make their chlorine, and then they have what they call brine left over. And we did get a sampling report of what's supposedly in the brine, and it's it's, it's a lot, a lot of different uh, chemicals and different products that
0: are in there. Oh, I thought it was just like ocean water.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know <laughs> if a sample of ocean water would have that many <laughs> types of of criteria that they had to test it for but it's a lot i I looked at it and it's probably eight pages i believe it was and there
0: are some there are some unanswered questions again because there's not public conversation about it such as you know we were told well one of the reasons we need to do this is because they're making so much bleach to help us at piney point but then i can't find any evidence that there's bleach pre-treating any of the water from piney point and and that wouldn't be the reason to dump Industrial
1: water into your well. You would want to have a public discussion, bring the stakeholders in, have people give their opinions one way or the other. Uh, we have some very, very qualified people in this community that step forward when we have these issues. And they'll look at that information and say, yeah, it's a good idea. No, that's bad. Look at this. What, what are they trying to do? You know, where did this come from? And so I don't think it's just a, a brine like salt water, And that's what they're kind of categorizing it as. And if it was that good of a brine that's just kind of salty, then why not put it back into the bay like they do with the Tampa Bay water plant up there in in, uh, Hillsborough County? Not that I'm a fan of discharging anything into the bay, but if if it's that good to go down into a well, then if it's just really brine and salty, then why is it? not being discharged into a system where diluted and going into your bay.
0: And thanks to some very, very excellent digging from TBT's Don Kitterman, there's also questions on whether or not the company's over a barrel in terms of disposing of their waste, because we heard several commissioners say at multiple times during the meeting that this is being trucked over to Fort Pierce. Yeah, that's what started out. Right. Yeah. Now, but then their Fort officials p- have said— no, they're only allowed to dump this amount, and they're only allowed to dump it from this facility. Yeah. And it then there was also a comment. So, despite that being said several times during the meeting, nobody from Allied, the CEO, and everybody was there. Nobody corrected that. Nobody said, "Oh, wait. By the way, we're not dumping that in the Fort Pierce well." So that was said. They didn't. They didn't say it themselves, but they also didn't correct it. But then they said something about trucking it, I think like 50 miles away right now, which that's not anywhere near the distance of Fort Pierce. So we did some research to see if it was contracted with any of the other counties' wells in the area, and there's not. So we have not been able to get an answer on where that brine is actually going now, whether it's going to Fort Pierce or not. Uh, it doesn't seem as though it's allowed to go to Fort Pierce and it's seen and they definitely have a limit to what they can do in fort pierce which they might not have capacity for so it it raises a lot of red flags and again this is why we were supposed to have the transparency commission that's what they called themselves right we were going to be we're going to be known as a transparency commission and it's these public conversations where as you said we have a lot of really qualified science people in this community. That's one of the great benefits of Manatee County is that a lot of a lot of smart people retire here, yep. uh, especially people who have environmental backgrounds because it's a beautiful environmental ecology. It draws those kind of people. And we've seen that in the past that when you... Same thing with the all clams on deck. Right. That was not workshopped, advertised. It was boom, we'll give you half a million yep. dollars. And it almost seems to the cynic that... That's deliberate. We don't want to have public conversation. We don't want to answer questions. We don't want you asking things that might have uncomfortable answers. That's the way it seems.
1: Yeah, and it's sad because we have people that are part of this discussion, such as Senator, you know, our past senator, past president of the Senate, Bill Galvano, who's the attorney for Allied. He should be sensitive to the community's concerns because he's been around enough. and And for him not to say put the brakes on this, let's have a public discussion. Instead, it seems like all this texting went back behind closed doors. And you a know, real rush sense of urgency yeah, on it, which yeah. is what
0: makes me suspicious Well, maybe, that there was.
1: Yeah, maybe they got wind of, um, you know, all this water being dumped in, all the brine being dumped in over Fort Pierce and say, you can't do this, your contract doesn't allow it. And so now they're in a, in a pinch to find some other resource. But, you know, the bottom line when you're making decisions for your county, you don't put any pollution into your county that you could put somewhere else, I'm sorry. But I mean, if it's somebody else's, you know, um, discharge going on at at Fort Pierce, it would be better to have it there than in our county from a sulfur standpoint. Now, from the standpoint of, if there really isn't anything wrong with this, then why wasn't there full public disclosure ahead of time and saying we're gonna do this? Because it was also at the same time that they were uh, initiating taking Piney Point's water and putting in it the same well, I believe. You know, so they had a permit application to do that initially, and then they pulled back the Piney Point uh, well, um, industrial well uh, water going into that well. So yeah, it's, it, it doesn't make any sense to not have public uh, discussions on this, because the best decisions are usually aired out in the public. Um, maybe the county commissioners and the county administrator aren't the smartest people in the room. Maybe there's somebody out there that has a little bit more expertise in this or maybe something else that would give us better safeguards so we don't have another Piney Point. I'm sure the people in the 1960s thought Piney Point was a good decision to be made on behalf of Manatee County. And look where we are today. Some 50, 60 years later, it's its a environmental nightmare. It's caused numerous numerous problems in Tampa Bay. It's it's still a geological issue from the standpoint of having all that weight on a top of a, a very fragile geological formation right. where it could just sink hole and collapse like some of the- um,
0: Yeah, and had. as you start to, and if you study groundwater modeling and all these different things, and you see that Florida has this extremely unique- uh, It's like Swiss cheese down Yes. I mean, it's like holes. Right? The, yeah, it's it's extremely, it's basically yeah. a phosphate rock yeah. with all this these cavernous, you know, areas in it. Um, It's not, and and let's be honest, uh, this is probably true throughout the whole country, but particularly in Florida, we have a long history of, like you said, things being told that, oh no, the scientists all say it's perfectly safe and it's fine. And then, you know, 10 years goes by, 20 years goes by. We haven't been doing this kind of deep well injection in Florida all that long that we have, The kind of confidence to say something's perfectly safe everything's perfectly safe until it isn't and we don't know what's
1: in the water like we just had that reporting that we did i believe last week on the epa's letter to the state of florida saying you're not testing for these parameters and therefore you're you're creating a, a public health issue because now we have the the pollutants going into the bays and the bays you know waters that the fish are you know, living in, now you catch the fish that's polluted and has these different types of, of chemicals in it that we didn't know before that were harmful, but we do now. So if you're not testing for that, you don't know if it's going to hurt you. So it's the same thing with this water, this industrial water that's going into the ground. If you don't know all the parameters that you should be testing, then, you know, you're not going to be able to provide the safeguards for your community. You know, the other thing too is, is that the resolution that they passed for the pricing structure doesn't really take in consideration you know the cost of the well and also the testing that it takes to to you know make sure that the community will be not impacted by this decision it's just a, a fee based on the cost of uh, certain parameters but it's, it I didn't see where it took in consideration how much money we paid for that well amortizing the cost of the well and also making sure that if there was a problem we go back on that person that caused, caused the, the issue. And a lot of times, you don't know about these problems until 5, 10 years down the road.
0: Very, very interesting. Let's move on to the realignments that we've done. So a lot of uh, extensive measures passed last week in terms of widening roadways, and it's going to involve a fairly considerable amount of public takings of, of private property. Yeah. Uh, What's your thoughts on, particularly in, you know, you're a long, long time West Bradenton resident, your thoughts on the 75th and 59th Street?
1: Well, first of all, as a commissioner, we dealt with these streets and the widening of the streets, and we decided not to widen 59th Street years ago, and we decided not to widen that portion of 75th Street, and it's because you want to maintain that community character. If the community character doesn't mean anything, then just sure, for, for laying the heck out of it, you know, take properties, harden... Harden the, 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 the area so it doesn't look anything like it looks now. And then put the community through two years of, of intense construction in front of their homes. And, and so, so it's just a nightmare. And so what's the gain? Do you save time? And the problem with 59th Street and 75th Street, it's not the 2 laning of the roadways. It's the intersections. And they don't even have a really good handle to fix the intersection. So right right now, you should be fixing the intersections. See, intersections were targeted to be fixed years ago. Yeah, it's difficult, it's costly, but that's where your best money should be invested. I mean, when you look at the intersection, even at 75th Street and Manatee Avenue, the amount of cars that are backed up on the through lanes... Going towards the beach because there's not enough turn capacity to yeah, turn yeah. left going onto 75th Street, or if you're on 75th Street, you know they don't have two lanes of of turn like you do at Right, so you you end Street. up having
0: people that are trying to go straight caught behind people that are yeah. waiting to get into the turn yeah. lane,
1: and we're seeing it all over the community. It's like nobody has any logic or or talent anymore with transportation. But you fix the intersections first, and then if you have a problem, you go to the roadways. But you know, years ago, I went to this uh, one seminar that I thought, you know, maybe the advice was not that great. It was a planner that uh, going around the whole country and it says the most efficient roadway is one that you have about a 35 mile per hour speed limit. It moves the traffic more efficiently. And I thought, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. If I go down the road at 60 miles an hour, I could be more efficient. But the spacing of the vehicles and all that, and, and then you take a look at the safety factors. So when you take 75th street for an example you have the two lanes everybody kind of gets behind each other we go a little slower and then you widen out to four lanes it's the same number of cars you know they're spaced out less and they go faster and then try to cross over you know between one side of the road to the other you know, it's, right, it's like right. almost 100 feet that you have to cross. Yeah. You'll have where, to have a
0: red light everywhere. Where, there's yeah, crossing,
1: where, right. where Like the 75th Street, the concept there, one, we protected Village Green, which was Village Green will get impacted tremendously, as well as some of Pomasola Park, two historical neighborhoods that you want to maintain. And the juice of the squeeze, you know, is it worth it? So what are you going to gain? You gain nothing as far as time of travel. So it's not about a level service D sometimes or level service F. You know, our roadways on Cortez and Manatee Avenue, they should be expanded. But we constrained them years ago because financially it it would cost millions and millions of dollars you don't have. And then it would ruin the businesses that you have on those roadways. And so we didn't ex- ever expand those roadways. You have to live with what you have when you have a constrained facility. And 75th Street and, and 59th Street, you know, the commissioners are talking about we need to do this for growth. Well, what growth? We're we're pretty much built maxed out, out yeah. over here in the west side of town. And 59th Street dead ends into the water tower to the south. It pretty much dead ends into the built-up community, you know, to the north. If anything, get the sidewalks installed that you promised the people and beef up the intersections and call it a day and save yourself like 30, 40 million. So if you're going to be a true conservative, maybe you should look at doing – more with less, you know, because that's not what they're doing. And it's going to ruin the community's quality of life. I mean, it just absolutely destroys them. Now, there's some tweaks they could do, uh, but years ago, 59th Street uh, was slated for the same thing, and, you know, the engineers are sometimes pushed, you know, to do this by their consultants, and the consultants are always come back with, you know, you need to do more laneage and this and that because they make more That's money. what. Yeah. I mean, the consultants make money. You have a hammer, and you see
0: nails, right? Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, and it's up to you as a commissioner to say, you know what? You know, even though this may be needed, is it gonna really do anything for you know, my solve community? Solve problems, yeah.
0: and is it going to create more problems than yeah. it solves, right?
1: And, and I guarantee you, if you fix the intersections first, you would not have to do these expanded roadways. And if you expand a roadway, what are you gonna get? You're going to get cars that don't have as much distance between them and going faster in front of residential neighborhoods, and somebody is going to get killed more often, or lame more often. Now we also actions. got
0: a little preview, um, perhaps accidentally. Uh, one of the one of the benefits to our our county commission chair is he 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 has loose lips on the day. Oh <laughs> yeah, often. well we 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 heard that uh, one of the road projects is is uh, almost sure to go through because uh, Pat Neal bundled $650,000 for the governor. And he's going up and lobbying for himself. So don't worry about that one. Uh, that was just one little nugget. But the yeah, that was
1: for Marcus and Wallow Road. Improvement. Yeah. And, th- and let me just say this drives me crazy, because we're supposed to have impact fees to cover the cost of developing roads that are responsibility of development. And if you have impact fees set high enough, you want not have to go to the state, you want not have to Spend our local resources, the development's contribution would have been enough to, to carry that forward. As a matter of fact, back before 2008, the developer was going to actually build out those roadways. And now the county is going to take on that responsibility. And the sad part is, is that it's a good example of how we're using other resources than impact fees that are improving these roads and they're totally a developer responsibility. 44th Avenue is totally a developer responsibility. What it sounds
0: like you might be saying, Joe, and correct me if I'm misinterpreting it, it sounds like you might be saying that the same dynamic that Commissioner Van Austenbridge was describing in Tallahassee is probably benefiting the. Uh, the developer in question, Mr. Pat Neal, in Manatee County, as well. Yeah, uh, he said the quiet part out loud because it's like, well, if you if you give money to the governor, you're going to get what you want. It's like, oh, and he also gives mum- m- money to the commissioners quite generously, so that might be the reason why uh, why why those changes are are happening. And we're just not picking on
1: Pat Neal. I mean, Van Austenbridge basically said he pretty good friendship with the governor, and he contributed that six hundred and fifty thousand somewhat dollars. So when you look at how much money the developers give county commissioners to get elective collectively, I would say it's more than $650,000. Mm-hmm. It's probably closer to a million dollars. And so do the developers expect the county to build roads like Moccasin and Wallow so they don't have to pay the extra impact fees? And impact fees, just so, so people understand, they're not something that um, was was – Um, out of the world years ago for them to be set at the max rate so that the citizens wouldn't have to pick up the bill for the cost of development. So now what's happening is that the citizens that are living here are paying for the cost of development. And the way it was supposed to work with impact fees was that... New development pays for itself. Yeah, if you needed that road improved because you're building that development, then we calculated how much the road was going to cost and we spread it out over all the units that were being developed. And it was a very easy formula. And and because people have played around with it for years now, we have probably the lowest amount of impact fees going towards helping improve you know, the roads by the uh, development community. And what's sad about that is that it takes away money. So let's say you know, Pat Neal could do his infinite wisdom and get the governor to sign off on you know spending the money needed at the from the state on Marcus and Wellow. well it takes away money that we need for other projects so downtown bradenton needs some help i mean we need to get that fixed because it's taken an hour for some people to cross the river oh
0: that's going to get fixed we found out that this week as yeah, well yeah i'm sure uh, commissioner van austenbridge um, let it out thursday that when somebody asked about the status of the library and he explained that that was the you know, the city, and the city was seeking to rezone that and then look at what they're going to do with it. Uh, he did then, you know, the next thing out of his mouth was that uh, Mayor Gene Brown is in the process of trying to maximize the height and density all throughout the downtown because if we build it out all the way and put everybody down there, they'll live there, they'll work there, and that will solve our traffic
1: problems, Joe. Well, spoiler alert, it's, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> you,
0: you mean know. if we put... Just a whole thousands and thousands and thousands of additional units downtown where it's already complete gridlock for about six hours each day. That won't solve the problem?
1: No, I don't think so. I think about...
0: Uh, Do you think it might actually worsen it? <laughs> yeah, it
1: probably would make it worse because you are gonna take up a lot of space as far as uh, people needing to get out of town every once in a while. And they're going to compete with the people that are trying to get through town. So, and how
0: much downtown industry is there that you're going to put all these houses there and they're all going to work there
1: yeah there's there are, people are moving away from downtowns because they're too hard to get in and out of so if you were a business and trying to locate your company you would probably not look at um, downtown Bradenton. as a matter of fact businesses have moved out of downtown they're Bradenton. mostly looking towards yeah. i-75 yeah. out towards east so, county so right? the only government uh, the only bill the only businesses that you have are the ones related to government so yeah. you have the attorneys that have to deal with the courthouse, you have title insurance, you have some of the um, design firms. So you very rarely have a business that is just- Real a, industry down uh, there. Yeah, right. I mean, Palmetto has one, I think um, Global Works or Works Global over yeah. there in Palmetto, but that's not even in its downtown core. And if you really wanted to do something great for Bradenton, let's, let's do some public spaces like they have done in St. Petersburg. When you look at St. Pete, that's a model. They didn't use up their waterfront and build condos all the way up to the water. They basically have that public space, and then they put the high-rises in the back. And when you look at a thriving city, that's a perfect example. Mm-hmm. You go into downtown Tampa, and it's a good example of where you just have urban space, but you don't don't have really that sense of community Yeah, it's it's very, like, disjointed, yeah. Yeah, they're trying to bring people in, but it's more of a touristy Mm -hmm. downtown where St. Pete is more of a community downtown. When you go to St. Pete, there are people that are living in those condos and and up on Central that are living in the apartments and slash condos up there, all that revitalized area of St. Pete, and it's just magnificent what they've been able to do. They were patient because they had the plan, and and for years it didn't happen, and then all of a sudden the opportunity came and they jumped on it. And same thing with the city of Bradenton. They would rather sell City Hall and put housing units there than doing a great public space that maybe brings people in. And that's the difference between goals for your city. And then also when you look at traffic congestion – you're not gonna have all those extra units. I mean, it just defies logic that anybody would say, oh, we're gonna build thousands more units downtown Bradenton and that'll solve our congestion problems. It's it's not, I mean, the, most of the traffic going through Bradenton is by, by, bypass traffic. I mean, they're going to the islands, they're going back to work, they're going up to St. Petersburg, and it shouldn't take almost an hour to get through from 26th Street to across the river, which sometimes it does. Yeah. And we have solutions that we could apply to those problems, such as elevated roadways like they've done with the Gandhi in Tampa. Just a magnificent, yes, magnificent uh, transportation project. Didn't disturb the downtown uh, corridor at Gandhi. They actually built it from the middle out. And so they never even had any road closures. Same thing could be done with 301. We got to get some leaders that are talking about this stuff because
0: it'll take 15 years. From to get when it done. you start to get serious yeah. about it, and there's not even
1: real discussion about no, it. No, there's not. And we're supposed to have a corridor study that's gone on since 2012, that again, no leadership. I mean, it, and that was yeah, one the of, most
0: we get is lip service about that downtown pr- problem. And I'll tell you, getting out of here and trying to cross through anywhere in yeah. the corridor, it's really about a Especially on a Friday, but like three, four hours. Yeah. Yeah. It is com- failed intersection after failed yeah. intersection every direction yeah. and no way through. And then when you look at that and say, how is that encouraging people to now come and utilize those businesses in those space? Of course it's not. Yeah.
1: And, and years ago, there was a, a CRA director, one of their community redevelopment directors that said congestion is a good thing for our downtown. Yeah. Well, I hope I it's a that. good thing yeah. because I mean it's 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 getting worse.
0: Right. You know um, what I want to do when I'm stuck in complete gridlock? Find a place to park my car and, and get off and go to the yeah, business and yeah. stay there longer than I have to. Yeah. Instead, I'm I'm you know, white knuckling the wheel, you know, cursing in my head yeah. of get me
1: out of this. <laughs> and how many people are really violating the rules of the road by trying to merge oh, no, into doubt. a lane no, that doubt. they shouldn't be merging from and it's creating a dangerous situation. And The city leaders and the county leaders can't get their heads together to. Well, I think that's where not only lack
0: of leadership. That's where when you're talking about just lack of experience. Right. I think, and and as you know, and this is something that as a journalist I had to learn the the doing transportation is one of the most complex enterprises in all of government. And it has so many moving parts. And it has so many different funding mechanisms and restrictions. It's really, really, really hard work that you've got to roll up your sleeves. And like you said, it's not something that you're going to be able to turn around and tell a voter next year what you did. It is, But it is such an important function of government. One of the very most right. important. And it just seems like with the total amount of inexperience that we have all over the place, it just seems like we we, it's just so easy for them to just say, all right, that's too hard. Let's just forget about it. Let's but they just all campaign on it, Dennis. <laughs> they all campaign
1: that we're going to solve the roads problems. I mean, and, and yet, you know, they're focusing on 75th street and 59th street. If, if you would have spent that amount of time that you focused on roads that don't need to be improved onto 301 and 41 and say, I'm going to find a solution. I'm going to make that tough decision and I'm going to make it this year. Then we might have some hope that maybe when our kids finally have kids, maybe it's done. But, I mean, it's literally 15 years from the time you start a project and get it in a five-year transportation plan to the time that it actually gets built. Um, So the least amount would be maybe 12 years. So anybody that thinks that they have a hope of having a transportation solution and have it impacting us so that we have an easier time crossing the river – It's not going to happen this year, next year, five years from now, probably 10 years from now. And it's all because the city leadership really blocked the only viable alternative back in the 90s. We were supposed to have the extra bridge going across the river. And the city of Bradenton said, we don't want to have that bridge. And instead, they sold the land that we were supposed to have the bridge crossing as surplus to people that had inside connections to the city and it blocked us from ever having that opportunity to have a new bridge at the only spot that really it could have gone without impacting any neighborhood like Braden Castle that they try to mm-hmm. put fear into those people. And it would have crossed right over into Canal Road on the other side of the river before all the development took place. And it would have terminated in 275. And
0: so that was the plan was that during the 301 uh, new 301 new yeah. it was
1: right after the new 301 in the 1990s okay. and and the city of Bradenton absolutely squashed the project and I went around to the cities at the time and I said if you do this you know you're casting you know the end of any solution to transportation now the only solution is is to really have a grade separation where mm-hmm. you actually have uh, another roadway built up higher than the roadway on the ground the through traffic and you move the traffic through there because you have two competing intersections going north and south and east and west and you can never get the lights time to make right. any type of efficient transportation work and that's what you're seeing you you have a block between sixth avenue and manatee avenue You can't fit enough cars in there and so it just defies logic that a city would sit on there
0: how let me let me ask you a simple question how hard would it be one, one just like little easy thing that I see people do all the time, like you said, merging where you're not supposed to and stuff, is on sixth when you're going to turn right. to go into the bridge, there's only one turn lane. Yeah, you could, t- it goes two. into two. Yeah, that's pretty simple, yeah. right? It's pretty simple, and that's what that doesn't take 10 do. years, does it? No, and usually you look at
1: how people are driving and then you try to see if you can make the road right. work towards how they're driving, and so people will try to merge right into in front of you. And, and the other thing that they could do if they wanted to, they could actually extend the the vehicles to go past 9th street and then use the side road to come back into manatee avenue with a stoplight and and work its way back kind of a a longer Mm u-turn you could say but that would probably give some relief Uh, but nobody's even talking about options it's like you know it it's to the point that failure is acceptable acceptable yeah and that's sad and then you have some rhetoric from a commissioner that doesn't have a clue on transportation, saying "build more and I'll reduce congestion." I mean, what type of logic is that? I mean, you shouldn't be in office in office if that's what your, you know, thought pattern is. I'm sorry, but it's just not right. Talk to somebody.
0: <laughs> yeah, the lack of experience is really, really stunning. And the other thing is just a top-down control. Like you said, we have a, an immense amount of leadership that doesn't have any real experience with managing large enterprises, let alone in the kind of public policy they're dealing with, And it seems like the only or the prized qualification is fealty. Will you come in and swear your ever dying allegiance to the the administrator and fall on your sword and never, you know, uh, uh, raise your hand when you see something that's happening wrong and just let us, you know, control the message and say that we're all doing great and everything's wonderful. and We'll cut the backroom deals to buy the parks and to let people dump stuff and do whatever and just trust us that we're the smartest people in the room and everything's great and when
1: you look at the cost of it to the community it's it's a financial cost because back in the 2000 area you only had one deputy county administrator and that was chain of command if the county administrator wasn't around then you had a deputy county administrator who could step in and then manage the departments then you had like two and then now we're up to
0: four we're not sure three or four <laughs>
1: Well we're four slotted. Four we're not slotted, sure if right. there's four hired until we get back communication from from the administrator, um, uh, who seems not to maybe know himself because he would been able to just answer your email and say yes, he's still on board with Manatee County, regardless if he took his job back at the school board as their attorney. So but the the cost to the community is is also um something that you don't always have financially. Um you have really the loss of uh, this knowledge, this retention of, of, of knowledge that was passed from one person to the other. Good example is when Rob Brown, he was over our environmental programs in Manatee County. Last year, he just was retiring. He he's served his time 30 plus years, Great great person that was an advocate for the environment, but he was also a, a very knowledgeable person and he was reasonable, um, you know, and, and he, he created that balance. And so when he was leaving, like the last week that he was on the job with the county, I called him up because I had a question. And he says, well, I'll be here for another few days and I'm out of here. I said, well, do they have somebody shadowing you? And he said, no. <laughs> it's like, all right, um, so nobody's shadowing you. So who's gonna do what you're doing? He says, I don't know. This administration, it does not have a clue on who's coming in to do what I've been doing. Now, this is a person that was helping us with water quality improvements. Yeah, immense
0: amount of institutional knowledge. Yeah.
1: I mean, he's been around the block for 30 years, was was there when we didn't even have an environmental department. I mean, and and you lost somebody like that, and you don't have somebody go and replace him. and, And worst of all, you don't have somebody that you know, hangs out with him for like six months to learn what he knows and pick his brain and go to the meetings that he's going to and try to understand some complexities, which you're saying things are complex with transportation. They're even more so complex with
0: With environmental environmental solutions.
1: And now you have people asking, who do I go to? And I say, I don't know anymore.
0: And we have not been able to get uh, an updated organizational chart from the county either. Um, There was some, there was a statement by, Administrator Hopes um, last week, where he basically said, We've made a change of leadership over parks, um, but we don't know quite how that's worked. I don't know what Charlie Hunsicker's role is right now. I don't think anybody has given a straight answer on that, Um, but I don't know whether Charlie Hunsicker's over parks anymore. Well, I would hope that maybe the county
1: commissioners um, actually do some research, the new ones especially. Uh, there's such thing called municipal code which is where you have the all the things that are required for the county to have operate its its organization and one of them is about the county administrators powers and duties it's section 2.2.23 just in case they need to look it up but if they just do a google search and they would find out what the responsibilities are for their county commissioner, uh, county administrator, that they have approved, and they could change this. At the meeting this week, as you're aware, they started questioning, well, what what is the county administrator's responsibilities? And what's this contract? Well, this contract's not going to identify everything that's in law. Basically, this is a county law. This is what the county administrator is supposed to do. And he's only granted those powers Um, that the county commissioner allows them to have. And part of that is to organize the county departments. And if you can't even organize the county departments and tell your county commissioners what the departments are, you should have something that's in a flow chart. Hey, I just reorganized the departments, and here's your kind of reference of who's in charge of what now. But it's a, a common theme for the past two years or so, almost two years ever since Hopes took office that we don't know who's in charge of what department anymore. Even like code enforcement, you know, they split that up in between two different departments now, which defies a little bit of logic because who is really code enforcement? I mean, you have a person that's kind of like a, a code person that kind of helps get you to comply with the code. And then you have another code enforcement arm that says, oh, by the way, you're violating the code, so you need to get it corrected. Um, it's very confusing who's in charge.
0: Yeah, not uh, not looking good. Um, let me ask you, so, so somebody who's lived here as long as you have and obviously has immense love for the community, uh, do you see a way out or, or, or are we going to ruin it? Is Manatee County going to be a place that, You know, people who aren't just moving here from somewhere else and accepting it don't want to stay anymore.
1: Well, I think you're going to have transitions where people are fed up with the traffic. Um, Probably the biggest thorn in the side right now is insurance. Yes. And while county commissioners don't have any uh, say over that, they have to recognize the reality if you can't get insurance, you can't get a loan.
0: Yeah, and this week we had legislation passed in the special state session, which we're reporting on in the Sunday edition, uh, but none of it is supposed it's, to... It's not substantial. No, it's, not at all.
1: And and it's, it's sad because one of the things that you have is you have a state that has so much uh, coastal area with rising sea levels and more storm threats, and... For example, I had a piece of property on the island that was about a $10,000 policy last year, and my renewal came in at $43,000. $43,000. That's a jump of 400% in one year because it was renewing right after Ian hit. Mm-hmm. My timing was perfect. But um, So you know, I have to go to plan B, but it, it shows you the complexities and the problems that you're going to have. So What's gonna drive people, I think, out of the state of Florida is that you're not gonna be able to get insurance or reasonable insurance. And if you can't um, you know, have the affordability of, of having reasonable insurance, then you're gonna to have to compete with states like North Carolina, South Carolina, or other places that you could move to and not have this high cost of, of living. Florida has had the tremendous benefit of having a low cost of living. I think that's going to change. When you look at housing pricing, you look at insurance, and now you have interest rates that are climbing. So it's 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 not something that is a very good window um, in the future I, I think
0: that selling point of florida is over I, I don't think there's anywhere in florida where you have the cost of living and you're right that was the the sale 10 years ago yeah. was bring your company here because you're it's a tropical environment with a low cost of living so at the same wage you're going to be able to attract the best people because who would not want to move down here live for the cheap in paradise and now it's really a premium now it's like well if you want to live in florida you got to pay for it and in so many ways we even have i think. I've read we have the second highest auto insurance uh, in the country. So, you know, like you said, property insurance is hitting you, auto insurance is hitting you. And then because of all those costs, now the service is everywhere else. So everything from, you know, Dental to getting your car fixed, everything else is also reflecting those increased costs because they're getting hit in the same way. So I think the, the cost of living factor in Florida, that ship has sailed. I don't know that it ever comes back. Yeah. And, and now you have the inspections that are required on, on buildings
1: that I believe are over three stories, they have to have these inspections, I believe, every five years. And so that adds to the cost. Yeah. And then now you're going to have the political environment within inside the condominiums that basically you have it with the homeowners associations as well, where people don't want to pay out the extra money. Mm-hmm. And so now you have the cost of new roofs. You have the cost of bringing your buildings up because the structural integrity might be compromised if you don't do X, which could be half a million, million dollars to a condominium building in the future to get insurance. Uh, so yeah, there's there's some real issues. But when you, when you look at... Um, the overall quality of life in Manatee County, one of the things that we do have, we still have a pretty decent quality of life. We're still providing for those recreational services. Our schools are looking like they're heading in the right direction, even though we have the issues going on mm-hmm. with the school board environment. I think they're, they're hopefully getting better um, in the future. But then again, we have this political turmoil in the school boards. where Yeah, the new you know, school board is uh, you know, a little bit saucy. They're, they're more concerned about what books in the library than they are about you know teaching the students you know how to balance their checkbooks. Right. You know, I'd rather I'd rather focus on the, the hardcore of living. I mean not that you want to have some books in the libraries and exposing children to things, but I think you were commenting you know, with the podcast with with Don as I you know with the internet today and a person's yeah. phone they could they could find out. And, and plus, sometimes when you highlight a book that you shouldn't read, it's that'll, uh, that'll when it tempt, comes apart,
0: the Stryzan effect. Yeah. yeah,
1: that'll tempt the young people to say, like, hey, oh, the, what is this book? Know, right. Let, right. Let, let, let's see what it's about. You right. know? And and even, you know, it, it's, it's just the culture wars
0: that we're having that are disappointing. And, you know? th- and that's really what facilitates everything we're talking about. Yeah. So, everything we're talking about happens because people are so willing to engage in this tribal nonsense that they're voting on things that have nothing yeah. to do with hey does this particular candidate have much experience in let's say transportation yeah. or let's say environmental issues or whatever and it's like oh no 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 but they hate that book in the school yeah. and they they hate Joe Biden and you know we, we had a county commissioner you know uh, our commission chair just uh, in Thursday's meeting let's go brandon you know yeah. from the dais yeah. you know that that kind and of, that's
1: not supposed to happen anymore because we're not supposed to have those political type of comments it's against the civil Civility rules, but I mean, if you have the leader of the county commission doing that, then it kind of shows you. But when you you look at choices, I mean, the community had a choice, you know, for Van Austin Bridges' seat. I mean, he was a realtor that only made like $20,000 during the best times of, of the real estate boom. And you know when you looked at his financial part-time tour guide and, and yeah, you, who uh,
0: and he was up till recently was working at GT Bray a few years before. Yeah, you know.
1: and well, you know, there's there's uh, concerns about how that ended, um, but you know when you look at the choice the community had in front of them, they had a financial planner, Matt Bauer, Army veteran, and and what happened was that the Petticini, you know, um, negative mailing machine, you know. Just went after Matt Bauer and try to make him look like a fraudulent person, and the community believe that over a person that didn't have any qualifications and was just riding on Trump's coattails. Now, if you're just going to have people and backed completely by the developers, he serves them. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, needless to say, it was the developers that got him into office with their monies and their political, you know, operative. But when you look at choices, rather than hiring the person that had the best qualifications, they believed a postcard coming through the mail. I mean, when are we ever going to grow up, America, and stop believing a stupid postcard that comes in with some disclaimer on it that comes from, you know, Americans for good government or take back our government? I mean, aren't we smarter and better than that in this community? No. And maybe, maybe we can start making a change. Maybe it starts here in Manatee County. That's my optimism is that maybe, you know, the spark that ignites the fire throughout the community, the, the whole country, it could happen right here. Maybe we start having people become educated on who their choices are, you know, without this postcard mentality or this like, you know, uh, got a text that this person's bad or, you know, we saw in this last campaign, it's pitiful what people are moved by and and they should know better because, If you get a flyer in the mail during campaign season, you should just discount it right? and do your own research on the internet, go to the websites, you know, see what their background is. But, you know, with Van Austin Bridges rates, you had a person that was so qualified, you know, and had management experience and a financial planner that is kind of like attorneys. I mean, they have a code of conduct. They can't breach certain things or else they lose their licenses. And you choose a person that was just riding on Trump's coattails at the time. And I get it. You know, that was the, you know, the, the election that, you know, everybody wanted to ride on his coattails. But, you know, at the end of the day, the community suffers. And now you have, you know, a different administration because you took away all the talent that we had on top and you replaced it with people that are incompetent. I'm sorry, but Dr. Hopes, you're not competent to lead this county. You're not competent to lead my county. You should be... Removed and, and, you know, replaced by somebody that has government experience, that has the ability to lead 1,300, 1,400, 1,500, 1,600 people or more. It's probably closer to 2,000 at the end of the day. It's over 2,000, yeah. When you look at all the part-time and full-time people. And, you know, a person that understands that they need to communicate to this community before they put something on the agenda, you know, with some backroom deal. And that's what's taking place. I mean, when you see the text messages between – you know, our past Senator Galvano, who's our local attorney, you know, and for Allied and and Hopes, it was it was sad that you have a, a person that is from this community, you know, that's a lawyer that should know better and also a politician that should know better. You know, and I'm sorry. I mean, Bill's, you know, is a good friend of mine. But this is, you know, criticism that he needs to hear if he's listening to this. You know, there shouldn't have been an attorney in this town that took that case. I mean, when you have things that don't fit the community's desire, usually attorneys in the past would say, you know what, I'll pass on this representing you. Go find somebody in Tampa that will represent you. They have plenty of attorneys up there that would represent you on this land use deal or this water deal that you want to put in, you know, really contaminate industrial water into our ground. You know, so you could say no as a local attorney to these things that are bad. I know attorneys in the past have said no, development attorneys that said no, I'm not gonna take this on and bring it to the board. You know, so there are people out there that have that type of qualification to say no. And maybe I'm a little bit too optimistic you know, with, with my um, you know, feelings that people should do the right thing for this community, but I think that's how this community was built years ago. Um, you had a core of people that were, you know, central to downtown Bradenton when, before we had all the expanded areas out to Lakewood Ranch, and they cared about this community and they guided the right decisions and they 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 made sure that they coached the new people coming in the right way. And now you basically have the developers and those people that have special interest controlling the decisions. And... We need to get back to what the community
0: Completely control. control. And that's what we've seen the last couple cycles is they're not happy anymore with just someone who's agreeable to their, you know, to their business and, and is probably going to vote with them most of the time. They will work very hard to get that person out now. That used to yeah. be the goal just to have somebody that you know, 80 90% of the time they're with you because they share similar philosophies, whatever the case was. Now it's, no, 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 no. I need to call you up. I need to tell you what I want, and I need to get what I want, yeah. period, end of story. And not only do I need to get it, I need everybody to vote for it, everyone. Yeah. I don't want 6-1, I don't want 5-2, everybody on board. And now when you have all seven commissioners, not only from the same party, but having the same political assault and the same backers, um, that's, that's why you see this moving so quickly. And unless some of them, I really hope that, you know— the, few of them have shown some sand in the la- yeah. last few meetings. Yeah, i got to give them credit because yeah. there's some some actually discussion. James Thatcher has been asking yeah. some questions. I mean, uh,
1: you know, another one that bogs my mind, and I don't want to bring up another issue, but I, I have to because the water taxi is just driving me crazy. I mean, so, so here you have this Board of County Commissioners that has approved a contract to build two water taxis, kind of like glorified pontoon boats. And these water taxis are supposed to take- That's a significant from, expense. Yeah, like a million dollars. It's going to be close to a million dollars to build two water taxis that the county's going to own. And we're going to use these water taxis to take people out to the island, starting at Anna Maria, Holmes Beach, Bradenton Beach, and then back to Bradenton. Well, just the time factor alone of going out there and back, and then you throw in the weather issues and the wave issues – and then to top it off, you don't even have a contract with the vendor that would be operating the water taxis. And then on top of that, you don't even have agreements with the cities that you're intending for the water taxis to go. <laughs> and but you're spending at. a million dollars
0: before you've done any of those,
1: right? And then you're then you're like, oh, this is going to save trips on the road. I mean, what type, oh, yeah, of we logic, <laughs> what type of logic is that? Joe, I mean, the, listen, we already have
0: buses that aren't filled up. There's servers I mean, in downtown Bradenton that will take the water taxi out to the restaurant. Why I, wouldn't they? I mean,
1: okay, so you take it from Bradenton to the Anna Maria Pier. Then you have to wait for the trolley to come by so that the trolley could take you maybe into the area where the restaurant is. And Depending on where the restaurant is, you might have to walk five blocks if you're on the one-way route. So
0: you don't think this is going to take hundreds, if not thousands, of cars off the road, Joe? It won't take one <laughs> car off the road. It won't take one. It's, but, you know,
1: we, we have empty buses. Right. I mean... Well, so, they're, they're so, free now. So, yeah, so you they should... They won't be empty.
0: They'll be filled with homeless people.
1: Yeah, I mean, so you the should digits. have... So you, so why do you need a water tax? You know, and, then, and then you're going to use the tourist taxes, and then you're going to supposedly take the money from the coquina market that has failed to get open, and people are like, what happened to the coquina market? You know, another... Great Doctor Hope's Scott Hope's administrator, you know, rampage where he basically kicks out a private business owner from operating a multi-million-dollar business that people were making money coming into this community, and the community enjoyed going there. And she public built, asset. and yes. she built it for years. And because she was making money, he he found out how much money she was making he got mad and said, I'm terminating your contract because I'm Scott Hopes and I am the county administrator and I'm allowed to just terminate it without the board knowing it, right? I yeah. don't, you know, he did it without the board. And even though there was a clause in there that you're supposed to have like a 30-day window or something like that, it was was done without proper performance as far as the contract that I saw. So not to get on another tangent, but, you know, that's just one more evidence of an administrator that's so incompetent And then you as a board that's supposed to be Republicans that are preaching a Republican philosophy of trying to have the private sector do more than government, now you're going to shift the wheels and say government could do it better than the private sector. You're going to have to invent everything that that person worked years putting together because I remember the struggle she had in the beginning, and it's just not an overnight thing where people popped up.
0: Yeah, and, and there were. Hundreds. I'm so surprised because the chair, Commissioner Van Ostenbridge, always talks about how private sector does it better, and government shouldn't be in the business of anything yeah. that private sector can do. I mean,
1: I looked at the financials. I mean, she made two hundred fifty thousand dollars supposedly that year for doing what she did. If you didn't like the two hundred fifty thousand, then you go and negotiate with her and say, hey. We want a piece of that. We think you're making too much money. Can, can we have some type of...
0: But why would a pro-business government feel that way? Why would they want to punish success? That's all we hear is don't punish success. I know. It was one of the most successful things. And people are coming back to our community this year. And it's
1: like, where's the coquina market? And the answer is... Ask God hopes. Ask the dictator, you know, what's going on? Because then he had the excuse that it was delayed because of Hurricane Ian. Right? And, and so he had this plan. So I do a public records request. Where's the plan? And I think Don did it on my behalf with with my name included in it. And so there is no plan, we find out. So there is no plan. So you basically tell the board at a meeting, I'm delaying it because, you know, we can't get the plan executed, but you have no plan. And then, you know, here we are in December. It was supposed to open in November because Ian happened in September. But then again, I don't even have the yard waste picked up in front of my house yet. Yet, <laughs> So it's like, I mean, it, you know, there's so much incompetency. You know, you know, you could keep on going on and on, just like, you know, the yard waste. If you have yard waste or debris in front of your home, you call the county and say, hey, what's going on? They say, oh, we don't know, it's all FEMA. Well, before we used to have a liaison with FEMA and they would coordinate with the county and the county would kind of help guide where they need to go. And it's just this random sampling of whoever's going to get the yard waste picked up today and we're
0: tomorrow. behind every other community that's been impacted yeah i mean collection of
1: it. if i if i'm in the city of, i have a property in the city of Holmes beach it was picked up within two weeks yeah i mean palmetto's all clear bradenton is all clear guess what manatee county
0: Sarasota's not, clear yeah
1: you're not doing a very good job even though you posted a video of how great you know your recovery efforts were you know and, and it it just goes on and on i wish i wish it was better because I would like to talk about how positive things are in our community Um, because it's, it's a shame you have to dwell on the negative, but you don't cure the problems unless you dwell on some of these negative issues. And if they don't want negativity, they don't need to hire a PR firm. They just need to get their act together. And commissioners need to take charge and get the right leadership in there. And I don't care, you know, if they, you know, have to remove the county administrator and get somebody else in there as an interim, but they need to make a decision whether they're going to have a good county government or they're going to just let it continue going downhill. Um, I believe we lost close to 600 people during the past two years. Yeah. 600
0: people. Well, I think uh, before they make a decision, they're going to have to check in with Carlos and Pat and see what the <laughs> see what the consensus is on on Doctor Hope's. But uh, apparently, he's keeping the right people happy because he's still there and uh, the the highest compensated county administrator we've ever had, and uh, doesn't seem to be any um, change in the immediate future. But uh, you're right; I, I I don't see a different outcome that changes things um, and electorally. Uh, You know, we haven't succeeded as a community in in voting based on issues and qualifications, and we have ourselves to blame in that sense. Well, we do in a way, but it's
1: also um, the Supreme Court when they opened up Pandora's box with Citizens United and they allowed um, developers to contribute to these PACs with unlimited money and spend unlimited resources. You you just don't have a fair fight anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, the developers have the upper hand because think of the decision that was made to allow 4,700 homes yeah. where only maybe 400 or so homes. So you're talking about, let's say they got an extra 4,000 homes that they weren't entitled to
0: yeah. four years ago. That next. pays for the entire election cycle and so, then some so, on one vote. So
1: take $50,000 right. minimum times 4,000 and do that math. And how many times can you buy a good campaign for somebody that's mm-hmm. going to vote in your favor? You know, you can't, at the local community, raise that type of funding.
0: Just off the idea of having a government, right. right.
1: And, and, and when you're still competing with those dollars that they can make off that one decision. Right. I mean, one decision of the county commission yesterday. Um,
0: Put millions of dollars in somebody's pocket.
1: Yeah, it's, it's just incredible. I'll have to do the math on that real quick because it's, it's, it's yeah, It's a staggering amount. We'll do the fifty thousand times four thousand, and we get two hundred million dollars. Two hundred million.
0: And that's a conservative estimate.
1: That's a conservative estimate at fifty thousand
0: a lot. And then you look at the one that we did with the seventy two hundred homes where yeah. there was twelve.
1: Yeah. I mean so you're looking at giving somebody 200 million dollars both Florida of which Canada by version? the way,
0: both of which by the way were East, city up that. Both of them. Yep.
1: So when you look at those decisions, which are yeah. similar numbers because that was 6,000, so that would that would be 300 million. I think our math was awful when we actually did that the first time we were Yeah. So, we lowballed it like you know, so, 40 to 80. Yeah. Right? So we actually gave developers a real gift yesterday. million.
0: While the community was screaming, no, don't do it. We don't want it. Let us alone out here. And the chance of challenging that, the
1: courts usually rule in a county's favor because they lean towards the government knows the best decision to make for their community and the laws that the developers have put in place have created the environment where they win most of the time if they go to court. And if you lose, they even have where you have to pay back the developer's yes, fees, legal fees right. now,
0: which wasn't the case back 10 right. years ago. And that just is going to completely disincentivize anybody, but the most well-financed opposition from.
1: Well, the even if you're well-financed, how well-financed you gonna be competing right. with a person that just made $200 million yeah. of, of increased profit I mean, sure, the homes aren't built yet, but that's the value. Right. And they right. could they could go out there and it. Well, the other
0: thing is you can go out and not only refinance, you can just flip it. So yeah. you have a developer, or yeah. a landowner, like is, is in the case well, with and the, uh, with and that's the other what one. they're doing. I mean, right. they're
1: flipping it to I guess Taylor Homes or or whoever the applicant co applicant was with SMR. Mm-hmm. So and it it's it, and that's what you know. Sad from the business environment of the county is that you don't have the cost of of in, improvements that are able to support that growth. And I don't care what you do. I mean those roads and those communities were never made to support the additional almost mm-hmm. five thousand homes. Same thing with the one out in Parish which is close to what, six thousand homes? Seventy two. Seventy two hundred. 7, yeah. Yeah. Well, where do we go, Dennis? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think out of the state at some point, but uh, no, I like it here. too. No, though. I love it here too. And yeah. you know,
0: I always joke with that because I always say it's it's ours, and we're not giving it away. And yeah, that's what we have to do. Is and and hopefully, I guess I you know I know we said this a lot, and sometimes I feel like Charlie Brown kicking the football and waiting for Lucy to pull it away. But there are more and more people having their own lives directly touched by this, and you see this with the awe, Opposition at 59th Street, the opposition at 75th Street, the opposition out on Lorraine Road, the opposition to, you know, at, at yesterday's meeting, the opposition, uh, another item that we'd reported on, the uh, the development, um, what was the name of it? The uh, the one that I believe is owned by- uh, Robinson or? No, no, the one that's owned by the middle school we reported on it last week. It's owned by that charter school. Okay, yeah. Uh, That was supposed to get, but at, I think, like 6 a.m., they requested a continuance. So that got pulled uh, because there was a tremendous amount of opposition to that as well, Um, to another intense development that was going to go into a rural area. So when you have all of these people finally waking up and saying, oh, now I see. Like, who do I call? Where do I sign up? Where do I go and, and bitch and moan? And then when they see something like, even when 15,000 people organize against it, they're like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. We don't work for you. That's the message is we don't work for you. We work for the development industry, and they need this, and we're going to facilitate it. Well, maybe they could
1: do a fundraising effort. All those people, $15,000 that they chipped in about $100 apiece, maybe they could actually organize a pretty good challenge to that decision, which probably has some merit to it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very possible that they could do a challenge to that decision. Um, One of the things also that happened on um, yesterday's meeting was the chair took away public comment. Public comment by phone. By phone. Which when you think about the modern world that we live in, wouldn't you want... To have a person have access via a telephone or or even a
0: well, if a you video wanted, conference. if you valued public input, right. I mean, maybe, well, but, but clearly what, we don't.
1: What's it hurt? And then then you don't have all the congestion downtown because you don't need another parking right. spot where somebody
0: has to go. That into that a actually, spot. unlike the water taxi and the, and yeah. the high rises, actually could impact yeah. traffic. But the point is, as we've seen so much. You can see the disdain they have for public input, right. and it's kind of just this thing. Like you see the eyes roll, you see the, the the body posture. It's all like, oh, we got to do this thing where we let people tell us what they think, yeah. and uh, we but, know we're going to do what we're going to do anyway. Why do I have to stay here another two hours yes. so all these people could do this? And it's really not the
1: chair's decision to do that. They, you know, they kind of smokescreened it yesterday, but yeah, they. It should be a majority vote of the board because. I'm pretty sure when that was passed, it was a consensus, you know, without Yes, objection. and it was not,
0: uh, as yeah. we went back and reviewed it, it was not a COVID protocol. No. It was not. It was something that was put in to increase public input opportunity. It happened to be utilized a lot during COVID, and it showed its merit right. during COVID, um, but it also increased public participation. And if you value public input, that's a good thing. But again, it's very clear, just like we don't want to have, and, th- and that's why I always tell people when you, when, you, why did they work so hard to get Missy Servia out, out, of, out of there? She didn't cost them any any votes. You know, they didn't not yeah. get something. Yeah, majority of, votes, yeah. Missy, um, they don't want the conversation. Right. And if you don't want it from a commissioner, if you don't want a commissioner up there saying, hey, um yeah, I'd like this pulled from consent. I, I'd like a presentation to see why we're doing this. If you don't want that, then you also don't want Joe Public coming up and saying, hey, uh, I noticed you're doing this and you know, and calling in. You're going to make it as hard as possible right. and say, hey, fight traffic for 40 minutes to get over here from you know yeah. East County or Find whatever. Find a parking spot. Yeah, yeah, do all this. Take a day yeah. off work, come everything. Into, come into a building that you might not have ever been into yep.
1: before. And, and oh, yeah, we, we
0: didn't get to that item till after lunch. Right. So you're, you're here the whole day yeah. now and uh do that because if you call in then we might actually have more people yeah you know, i mean you could afford to just like yeah. be here and just
1: watch them i've meeting. got a lot in the background while yeah. i'm at work or whatever yeah. and, and then yeah. actually be a a citizen that participates so it's right. just one more example that the citizens really need to wake up and and voice their opinions um because if this continues this trend continues you are going to be left without a democracy yeah. I mean, that's always been my fear. And it's happened before, I mean, in this country. I mean, basically you had people that uh, became really dictators in this country and, and took away rights of the press to criticize mm-hmm. government.
0: Um, it's scary. Well, you look at look at the polls that we run. Our polling participation has been really high. Polls and newspapers generally don't get a lot of votes. Uh, we've been getting anywhere from 600 to 1,000 respondents each week on the polls. And we're seeing 95% opposition sometimes right. to what the county decides. Yeah, that's a lot. And then when people are like, well, yeah. where were they at the elections? It's like, well, maybe some of them couldn't vote because yeah. that's the other thing that you do is you, you restrict it so it's a closed primary and it's limited to just you know the very small amount of people in that representative district actually having input on it. And then you buy it. So when you look and say, well, the people have spoken during an election. No, that's not true. It's very clearly not true. And when it comes down to the issue, they're not in agreement with what you're doing. So you can put out all the videos you want that you produce in your big, new, expensive, you know, uh, (laughs) taxpayer-funded studio saying how great it is and how happy everybody is. But the reality is something very different. We're seeing that more at meetings. We're seeing that very clearly in the comments. We're seeing that very clearly in the polls. And, you know, for people to say, oh, that's just... You know, my favorite one—a leftist rag or whatever. Yeah. Um, no, this is this is a reflection of the community. They're saying no, and hopefully, I guess that's where we'll end it on. Hopefully, enough of them are getting mad that they will put in the time, they'll put in the investment, but it's going to take a couple cycles to, yeah, to get through this. And,
1: and it's also challenging for you know normal people to take take time out of their busy day be, to fight city hall. Yeah, and and it's also not in our. Um, You know, makeup. I mean, we're not people that like confrontation for the most part. Um, You and I are probably a little different from our military backgrounds, um, but the average person does not embrace confrontation. Right. And you almost have to be confrontational to change the course of your government. And so you have to get people irritated enough to become
0: really confrontational. Um, in a peaceful way. Well, it's funny because the only ones that are are the ones that are worried about the books in the library. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if we could get that same kind of energy, folks, moved into a different area, such as good governments and public policymaking and forget about, you know, socialists and trans books or anything else and just talk about highways and water quality. <laughs> if we can get the same kind of energy around those important issues, I think we might get this solved. Well, maybe that's the key. You have the books there and have people come to the meeting
1: and then disclose that it's
0: about transportation. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> might be it. All right, we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, check us out. We're, we'll be back after the holidays with the podcast. Um, but check out this Sunday's reporting. And uh, if you can, over Christmas, maybe do a voluntary subscription to BradentonTimes.com. It would really help. It's just $7 a month, and it helps us continue to keep you informed on these issues, which, as you're starting to see, there are less and less places to learn about this stuff before it's happening, when you could actually do something about it. So uh, if you can help us do that work, we'd appreciate it. As always, thank you for listening, and thank you for reading the BradentonTimes.com Fact-Based News and Analysis Without an Agenda.